Hey, good morning, church family. It is good to see you guys today, and it is especially good for me to be able to see you guys. It's been a couple of weeks since I've had the opportunity to gather together with you guys, and it, I have missed you guys. Uh, I, we are blessed to have the, uh, the technology that we have that, that, that still allows us to meet even when we're not together, but I'm just going to tell you, it is not near as good as being here with you. So if you have God's Word with you, uh, turn to Revelation chapter 3, and we're going to be starting in verse 7. And while you're getting their church family, and it's possibly a church that the Lord blesses. It's possibly a church that is genuinely faithful to him. And this is what we're going to see today in the letter to the church of Philadelphia. This is a church that receives no warnings, no condemnation, no threats, and no judgment. This small church in Philadelphia is pleasing to the Lord. And when I was studying for this, man, I came across something that John MacArthur had written that kind of breaks down the letters. And what John MacArthur said was that if we've been paying attention, we'll see a progression in these letters to the seven churches. First, there's a loss of first love. Then comes compromise with the world. And after compromise, sin comes in and sin is accepted. And then the church begins to die. Ultimately, it ends up like the church of Laodicea. It is the church that the Lord spews from his mouth. It is a church he's not even in. He's on the outside knocking on the door. That is the progression we see in these letters, and it should be a progression that scares us, something we don't want to be. And in the middle of that progression, since we got a little bit out of order, we see the church of Philadelphia. And the church of Philadelphia is a break in this progression. So if you have your copy of God's word with you, let's read. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut, because you have a little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not but lie I will make them come and bow down at your feet and make them know that I have loved you. Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole earth to, to test those who dwell on the earth. I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have so that no one will take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God and he will not go out from it anymore. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Bow your hair, heads to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just come to you this morning, Lord, just praying that you transform our hearts, Lord. We thank you for these letters, Lord. Open our eyes to who we are, Lord, and what we want to be in you. Lord God, we just pray that we are a church that keeps your word and doesn't deny your name. Lord, let our ears be open and let our hearts be open to the truth of this gospel. And we just give all praise in Jesus' name. So church, starting in verse 7, we see this follows the same progression that we're used to seeing. We see a letter written to the church. And this time is to the church in Philadelphia. And we don't know much about this church, 
other than it was a small church who had a little power. And even though it had a little power, it was holding fast to the word of God and to the name of Jesus. To say it another way, they were a faithful, patient, little church. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Joe preached about the church in Sardis. And do you guys remember that church? It was a church that people would go past and they would be like, man, now that's a church. It's big, it's massive, it's growing. Man, they are alive. They were a church from the outside that looked incredible. But do we remember what Jesus said about them? He said, you are dead. And Jesus is going to tell the church in Philadelphia, you may be small, you may be insignificant, you're not influential, but you have something. You have me. You have all you need. That is me. And this letter doesn't spend time describing the church, but this letter is full of comfort and encouragement. Out of this letter, the church gives the most words of promise and hope. And Jesus is telling us, the smaller you are, the weaker you feel, and remain faithful to me, I will come alongside you and give you promise after promise and blessing after blessing. And in starting in verse 7, we see the longest self-description of Jesus in all the letters. And as we have said, Jesus introduces himself in a way that is relevant to the challenges that church is facing. And as Pastor Chris said last week, this is the first description of Jesus that isn't drawn from the vision that we saw in chapter 1. And Christ describes himself in this way. He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this. So Christ starts by describing himself as he who is holy. He says, I am the holy one. I am God. Jesus Christ, the author of this letter, is God himself. And this is terminology that we should be used to. We see this in Isaiah chapter 6, where we see God declared, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. If we go to John chapter 1, verse 1, it tells us that in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. In Psalm 16, we see, you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. John 6, chapter 6, he is the Holy One of God. Coming up in the next couple of weeks in Revelation chapter 4, we're going to see him describe, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. God is holy, but Christ also is holy. And we see this in Mark chapter 1, verse 23, where there was a man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit. And he cried out saying, what business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. And what we see here is the unclean spirit was able to recognize that Jesus is the Holy One of God. And we have to ask ourselves, do we recognize Jesus as holy, perfect, and righteous? Do we see him as deserving our obedience? And do people see the holiness of Christ being reflected in us? He goes on to describe himself as who is true. He says, I am the true one. And true is taken from the Greek word, which means genuine, real. He is the opposite of fake and false. He is the true God, not the fake God. And Jesus is God. Jesus is perfect in his righteousness and is true in his character and all that he says. 
And we, so we see these true attributes that show us Jesus' character, holiness and truth. He is holy and he is truth. And he is the one who has the key of David. And this is a reference to Isaiah chapter 22, verse 22, which says, Then I will set the key of the house of David on his shoulders. When he opens, no one will shut. And when he shuts, no one will open. And what this is, this was a prophecy Isaiah had about an unfaithful steward named Shebna in the house of David, who was going to be removed from his position in the house of David. And in his place, a man named Eliakim will be given authority and the keys to the palace. And what Eliakim opens, no one can close. And what Eliakim closes, no one can open. And what we see is Eliakim is a type of Christ to come. The authority Eliakim will have as steward of David's house is like the authority Christ will have. Eliakim was the only one with the keys to open and close the doors of David's house, and Jesus alone opens and closes the doors to heaven. He alone holds all power over salvation and judgment, and without Jesus, we cannot enter the kingdom. Only Jesus provides entrance for us. And it goes on to say, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts, no one opens. Jesus is telling them, I've opened the kingdom of God to you. Only he opens the door. And in the gospel of John in chapter 10, while telling the parable of the good shepherd, Jesus twice refers to himself as the door. Jesus tells them, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. And when Jesus was comforting his disciples in John chapter 14, he told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So only Jesus opens the door. Only Jesus opens the door. No one is strong enough to close the door of salvation that he opens. And that means us. And I know we like to think that we have sin in our life that God can't forgive. Hear me now. You can't close what Jesus has opened. So here we see Jesus' blessings on a faithful church. Not a perfect church, but a true and faithful one. We don't know about them. Oh, excuse me. In verse 8, starting in verse 8, he says, I know your deeds. Behold, I put before you an open door which no one can shut because you have a little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. So he starts in verse 8 with some verbiage that, that, that we're familiar with in these books. It says, I know. We don't know much about the church in Philadelphia. From looking at this reading, we don't know much about them but the holy and true Lord knows everything about them. We don't hear anything about their specific deeds other than that they kept my word and have not denied my name. And he affirms they are a church he will bless. So he tells them, I've put before you an open door which no one can shut. He is telling them, I'm giving you full access to the kingdom and no one can change that. And scholars argue over whether this open door points to gospel opportunities in evangelism or eternal salvation. And both of them turn to good arguments for why they feel the way they do. An open door is an image that Paul frequently used for freedom to proclaim the message of Christ. We see in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 8 through 9, but I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective service has been opened to me. And in Colossians chapter 4, verse 3, 
praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open to us a door for the word so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I have been in prison. And undoubtedly, this is a church that had an open door to the people that lived in that city. An ample opportunity to share the gospel with them and the people that traveled through. But others are, other scholars will argue that this is referring to salvation. And I feel this, this is a direct reference back to what we just read in verse 7. Jesus who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. Jesus is again referring to entrance into the kingdom of God. We see Jesus use this imagery often in the parables. If you look at Matthew chapter 25, we see the parable of the ten virgins. And when the ten foolish virgins were on their way to buy oil for their lamps, the groom returned. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast, and the door was shut. And verse 11 and 12 tells us, Yet later the other virgins also came, saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Or in Luke chapter 12, verses 35 through 36, he says, Be prepared and keep your lamps lit. You also are to be the people who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding, so that they may immediately open the door for him when he comes and knocks. And in Luke chapter 13, verses 23 through 27, Jesus is teaching in the villages. And someone said to him, Lord, there are just a few people who are there just a few people who are being saved? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. And in these parables, we see the Lord return and people standing outside the door, calling out to come in. He goes on to tell them that I've opened this door because you have a little power. And this little power doesn't have to do anything with their physical might. It has to do with the size of their church. And as we said earlier, they were a small, insignificant church to the world. But Jesus isn't saying you appear to be little, insignificant, or powerless. He is saying you are strong. Jesus doesn't spend time describing this church, but again, this letter is full of comfort and encouragement for a small church. The small church of little power gets the most words of promise and of hope. And this should encourage us, church. What we see is Jesus coming alongside this church with little power and give it promise after promise and blessing after blessing. This is the church that were true worshipers, true lovers of Christ. They held to the truth and they were obedient to it. He says, you have kept my word and not denied my name. To keep Jesus' word is just not knowing it, but obeying it. We see examples in John 14 and 15. If anyone loves me, he will follow my word. If you remain in me and my word remains in you. This was a church that kept Jesus' word. And in John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32, we read, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they were loyal. He says, and you have not denied my name. This was a church that faced persecution and didn't fold. These were true believers who would not deny the name of Jesus Christ. They were obedient and they were courageous. They lived in a world where refusing to say Caesar is Lord led to you going to prison or to you dying. And they stood strong 
and professed openly Jesus Christ is Lord. The question I have is, are we that brave? Are we that brave? It's easy to say yes. It's easy to say that is who I am. But understand, we live in a world today that sees believers differently than it used to. We live in a world today that sees believers as bigoted, wicked, evil, believe in things that are archaic. And my question is this, have you made your decision now before this body of believers, before the time of trouble, that you'll be true to the word of God and not deny his name? A few weeks ago, Pastor Joe talked about a conversation he'd had with his son, and it centered around this idea of, is it worth it? Is it worth it? My question is, FBC, First Baptist Church, man, are you prepared to be different? Are you prepared to be countercultural? Not to live for the likes on our social media accounts. Because what I know is this, if you live for him, if you keep his word, if you do not deny his name, one day we will hear, I love that one. That one is my child. And starting in verse 9, we see, Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue, synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not but lie. I will make them come and bow down at your feet and make them know that I have loved you. And these are some words that we heard Joe preach about when he covered the church of Smyrna. Philadelphia also has a synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews but are not and are not but lie. And again, we see persecution coming to this church from the Jewish people in the community. And as Joe explained, genetically, legally, ceremonially, these people are Jews. But spiritually, they are not Jews. And as Joe talked about, this is addressed in John chapter 8, when Jesus is telling the religious leaders that they are like their father, the devil. That they are like their father because their desires match his. The desire to kill and deceive. And Satan is the enemy of God. And apparently, the Jews in Philadelphia are under his influence enough that Jesus is calling them a synagogue of Satan. This is persecution at the hands of people who hate the gospel and hate that it is coming out of the church in Philadelphia. And Christ goes on to say, I will make them come and bow down at your feet. And this is something that did not happen. Jewish people coming to bow down at the feet of Gentiles. This was a picture of a humble and defeated enemy. And this is a reference directly to Isaiah chapter 45. In Isaiah chapter 45, when God is telling his people, I'm the God who is greater than all the other gods, verse 14 tells us this. Thus says the Lord, the products of Egypt and the merchandise of Cush and the Sabians, men of stature, will come over to you and will be yours. They will walk behind you. They will come over in chains and bow down to you. They will make supplication to you. Surely God is with you and there is none else, no other God. And now what we see, we see Jesus applying this prophetic promise to the church in Philadelphia. The Jews in Philadelphia will see you have the real God. You know him and he is with you. And even though this church was oppressed, harassed, and criticized, one day they will hear, now God loves those people. Church, we see a promise in these verses. Keep the word of God and do not deny his name. 
And one day the enemies of Christ will bow down and confess that God loves you. Starting in verse 10, we see, Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. He tells them, Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, you have kept my command to persevere. They were small, little, and persecution was going to be tough on them. But they stayed true to the word of God and Jesus' name, and they persevered. And he tells them, I will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come to the whole world. And I'm going to be honest with you, this is a verse that a lot of scholars have a lot of different opinions about. And usually divided into one of two camps. One camp sees this hour of testing as the final great tribulation. And they're saying that we will be taken out before that tribulation. While other scholars see this as an intense persecution of the church of Philadelphia that they are going to have to face. And both sides have great arguments for why they feel they are right. But I tend to agree with the second group. As we talked about for weeks and weeks, the book of Revelation is written to the church. And as Pastor Chris has said, it is a book to transform our lives. It is a call to action to be ready, to be awake, and to be alert. So with that said, it wouldn't have made sense to tell the church of Philadelphia about something it would not endure. But instead, it's telling them about a future trial and how Jesus will protect them. And there's a phrase that is in that, that, that passage that says, we'll keep you from, which I'm not a Greek master, so I may mess it up, but the, but the word is tarot-ek, we'll keep you from. This is the same word that we see used in John 17, 15. And when you read John 17, 15, it says, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. Jesus didn't pray that we'd be taken out of the battle, but that we would be strengthened and protected in it. By his grace, we will become overcomers. And in verse 11, he says, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have so that no one will take your crown. I'm coming quickly. This is, again, language that we hear repeated over and over in these letters to the churches. He says, I am coming and I will remove your lampstand. I'm coming quickly and I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. I will come like a thief. And what this is, these are calls to be prepared. And he says, hold fast to what you have. This church with little power didn't have much according to the world but it had to hold on to what it had, which was a solid foundation, open doors, reliance on God, and faithfulness to Jesus. And he tells them to hold on fast to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Jesus is pointing to the victor's crown, the crown of the overcomer, the crown of those who overcome and receive salvation. And in verse 12, he tells us that if we do this, we will receive heavenly rewards. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will go out from it, and he will not go out from it anymore. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes out of heaven from my God and my new name. So he tells them that we will be pil pillars in the temple of God. This faithful church is described as pillars in the temple of God. The people who were small and weak in this world would be pillars, strong beams in the house where God would dwell. 
And then Jesus tells them one of the, one of the rewards they will receive is they're going to receive a threefold name, the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, and my new name. The name of my God. We will forever be God's people. The name of the city of my God. We will have an eternal citizenship in the city of my God. Forever we will be the citizens of the new Jerusalem with all rights and all privileges. And he tells them, you'll receive my new name. When Jesus died and ascended into heaven, he was given the name above all names, Lord. And none of us know what the new name of Jesus will be. But what I see from this letter is he will look at a group of people who felt small and insignificant. And he's going to say, you are mine. You are mine. And verse 12 ends with, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. As I said last time that I was up here in the pulpit, to hear his voice is to heed his command. If you heard what I said, you would do what I instruct. And we all want to hear the praise and the encouragement Jesus gave to the church of Philadelphia. If we will be like this church, we must stay on a foundation, which was Jesus' name and Jesus' word. We must also depend on their source of strength, which was Jesus and not themselves. So, church, what do we learn from this church with a little power? A church that appeared to be harassed and hopeless. And from this church, from a church with a little power, we learn how to be strong. This was a church with a humble spirit, a church that was emptied of self, that was lowly and meek, and despised its own sinfulness. And we live in a world where we don't want to be seen as weak. We want to be strong. But there's a danger in relying in our own strength. Too often we start trusting in our own strength and forget about Jesus. Last week we heard about a rich city that relied on his own strength and said they needed nothing from anyone. The problem with strength is we become self-reliant and forget to do what the church of Philadelphia did, and that was rely on Christ. Strength itself is not a problem. But looking for strength in the wrong places, that is where the problem occurs. So FBC, First Baptist, where are we looking for victory? Where are we looking for success? Where are we looking for endurance, vindication? If we're looking for our strength somewhere other than Christ, we will eventually fall. And what can we learn from a church with a little power but big faith in Jesus? First Baptist Church, another question I have is, how are we influencing the world around us? How are we being the church that God has called us to be? In First Baptist Church, we want our message to be clear. Our message has to be that we are all sinners who fall short of the glory of God, that Jesus Christ came to this world and died on the cross for our sins, was buried, rose on the third day, ascended into heaven, and now sits at the right hand of the Father. And that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And we want our message to be clear. We live in a world where we're bombarded with messages. And church, we can't bring the lost and dying world the same message they are getting on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or podcasts. First Baptist Church, our goal is to be the church of Jesus Christ. That means making disciples of all nations, believing, hoping, loving, serving, praying, and worshiping Christ as he has called us to do.
And let us be like the church in Philadelphia, a church that kept the word of God and was devoted to Jesus' name. And that's the question that I leave us with here tonight. Man, are you devoted to Jesus' name? And you can't be devoted to Jesus if you haven't accepted him as Lord and Savior. In a minute, the band will come up here and they're going to play a song of response. And Pastor Chris and Pastor Joel will be down here if you have any questions that you'd like to ask us. If you feel like the Lord is leading you in a direction, we would love to talk with you. Um, man, and if the Lord has put a burden on your heart, listen to him. In our weakness, we will be made strong. So if you'd, bow your, if you'd stand up and bow your heads. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just come to you today, Lord, just with humble hearts, Lord. Lord, let our strength always be you, Lord. Let us learn from this church in Philadelphia, Lord, to keep your word and not deny your name. Lord, you are faithful. You are good. Let our hearts always be turned to you. We just give all praise in Jesus' name. Amen.